Activia offers a range of yogurts which are a delicious way to look after your gut health. From the fruit range with carefully selected ingredients to no added sugar and 0% fat offering, as well as a cereals range, there's an Activia for everyone. Made with a unique blend of five ferments creating an irresistibly creamy texture, each pot of Activia is a source of calcium, making it the perfect addition to your daily routine. Activia helps support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, on this week's show, we'll be chatting about why almost everything I've learned about food is wrong. This is according to author and professor of genetic epidemiology, Tim Spector. Tim is one of the world's leading scientists in food and nutrition. His book, Spoon Fed, looks to bust the myths and rules surrounding food that's been accepted in society for decades. Tim, you're very welcome to the show. How's it going? It's good. Great to be here. I'm absolutely looking forward to this one. This is going to be really interesting. Uh, we all have to eat, obviously, but do you think people have enough knowledge around food to make the right choices? Big question to start with. Easy answer, no. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm speaking as a, a a medic. I, you know, went through medical school and training and worked in obesity, and even I had no clue really what I should be eating up to a few years ago. So, Tim, you know, it's fats, carbohydrates, artificial sweeteners. Every year it's a different thing. Chat to me a little bit more about that. Is that just something that we go through in terms of the cycle of alienating one food group or, or one ingredient? Or, or what, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is what we've been doing for the last 20 years is food fads driven by one particular part of food, whether it's, you know, one chemical or one reaction or gluten or dairy or something that is easy for the public to pick up on easy for the media to then hype about and then the food manufacturers then produce something that's free of it and then everyone's happy tick the box until two weeks later another one comes along oh gosh i'm confused and so this whole idea is totally wrong we just need to change the idea that food is simple and we need to start embracing the fact that actually this is really a complex grown-up subject that isn't can't be trivialized into reducing everything to one particular factor or one chemical in sort of baby language. And I think that's where we've gone wrong. And if we keep, we'll keep going around in circles if we keep doing that. And I think that's really important. So um, I think we need to um, really focus on the whole food and quality of food and everything we've been told by food companies and governments to focus on calories and fats and sugars has been to make us deliberately ignore the quality of the food we're eating, ignore the hundreds of other chemicals in there, enjoy uh, the good stuff and not just assume that the highly processed stuff made in a factory is exactly the same, because that is probably the main thing that's been making us ill and fat in the last 30 years. And of course, one of the big, I suppose, rules of, of, of modern life is breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day and so on and so forth. I'm fascinated to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I, like you, was probably brought up by a mother who said, you've got to have your breakfast. Um, you can't go and do your paper round or you can't go to school or whatever without it. You know, your, your body and your brain simply won't work. And then as we were older, we, we were taught that skipping breakfast also meant you actually got fatter. You would sort of massively overeat, your metabolism would go crazy. And therefore, 
this whole idea we were brought up is that you have to eat small regular amounts over the day, otherwise yeah, your body's just shot. And it turns out all of those things are totally wrong. There's absolutely no evidence that skipping breakfast is bad for anybody. And there is increasingly good evidence that for many people, not everybody, but for many people, skipping breakfast is a way of losing weight and getting a better metabolism. And we also know that it helps your gut microbes as well. And, and so I think, again, this is a really great example of uh, old sort of wives tale, if you like, magnified by breakfast companies and egg companies and dairy and whatever, saying this is what you should do. But now all the new science is pointing the other way. And it's just pushing against this resistance of, of the big food companies and our old habits and, you know, our mum and our grannies who were also brought up on that. And is that pulled back to then, you know, intuitively eating in terms of trusting your hunger and eating when you're hungry, as opposed to that set thing of having breakfast at a certain time, if you're not hungry till 11 or 12 or whatever that time frame is, that's when you should eat. I think within reason, although we have to accept that some people do get hungry at strange times of the day. Uh, you know, some people with, with real weight problems might wake up three in the morning and get hungry. doesn't mean you should eat at that time. But um, so I think we still have to, uh, but we, I think your point is is right. Listening to your body, listening to your metabolism, trying to work out what's right for you and not just accepting dogma. So experimenting ourselves. And in a way, a lot of my book is about my own experiments and, and how people should try and personalize meals for them and see what works. Uh, there isn't one size that fits all. I think that's really important. Okay, so it's learning what works for you and learning to trust your body, to trust your 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 your, your good instinct in some regards. Uh, in terms of the food and the approach to food. Naturally, this conversation or the start of it brings us to intermittent fasting. Very trendy, uh, still very trendy. This is probably year three that it's really become to the fore on a global level in terms of books and, and, and podcasts and all the rest of it. Again, love to see what you think of this. Well, in a way, uh, people talk about intermittent fasting in two ways. One is like skipping breakfast. And so um, maybe, you know, and then skipping your dinner. So you just have... A, for two days a week, have less food. That's the old sort of five-two approach that's been around for the last ten years. And some people find that a good long-term way to continue to lose weight whilst keeping generally a healthy diet. And I don't think that's really progressed much. Uh, but what has changed is another way of fasting, which is called restricted time eating, where you eat the same amount of calories in a shorter time over twenty-four hours. So if you skip breakfast, for example. You might then bring your, your, your dinner in the evening slightly earlier. So you had a really long time, say 14 to 16 hours overnight when you're not eating at all. And we now know that is good for your metabolism. And it's probably how you know, we used to eat uh, thousands of years ago, because we also know that that helps your gut microbes, which are, are key to your general health and metabolism. And it allows them to recover during the day and, um, and heal the, the gut lining and all kinds of things. So this, it's still a young area, but there's increasing evidence that that kind of approach, maybe even just you know once or twice a week, I just do it once or twice a week, I don't do it every day. But if you skip, uh, the easiest way is to skip breakfast, and then you get into that habit, and generally your body uh, quite likes it it likes to have a rest from the food sometimes and that's partly because your microbes also 
uh, get a break. Of course, that's something you mentioned a couple of times that the gut, you know, the microbiome in the gut and how important that is. And there's more and more science and research coming along to support that. The kind of that gut brain axis in terms of our stress levels, the impact of stress on the gut. And it's becoming a very, uh, not, the, not a trendy is the wrong word, but it's becoming a very topical subject now and a very important subject. Yeah, well, I got into this about, I don't know, 13 years ago, and everyone thought it was a fad that would disappear. And at the point, at that time, everyone just thought about it as oh, some trendy new yogurt. You know, that was the, the only thing you knew about it. But now it's an it's a absolute hard science. It's one of the fastest growing areas of science in the world. It's, uh, and the way to think about it now is not just something weird, but it's like we've discovered a new organ in our bodies. We've discovered an extra liver, which is these trillions of microbes which have evolved with us for millions of years. And they do the things that we can't do. So they produce many of our vitamins. They produce many of our brain chemicals. They actually send out signals to our immune system to keep it uh, just finely tuned. So we fight infection, but don't give ourselves allergy and immune diseases. And they also save us from cancer and are key interactions with virtually all the drugs that we take in, in, our, in our bodies. So all of us need to know more about this organ. And it's only really recently been invented. So most doctors don't know about it. And it's, you know, it's a very new science. But it's really important that we learn how to nurture that. And in a way, if you can understand how to feed your gut microbes properly, then the rest of these um, fallacies in nutrition start to make sense. And in a way, why we've got it wrong in the past starts to be clear, because if you think of nutrition not as just like we're a furnace that just has a certain amount of energy and calories, like a steam train, but actually think of it as a much more of a living organism that we have to nurture all these individual species within us to produce just the right chemicals to keep us both happy and free of COVID and free of cancer, then it starts to make sense. And I think that's a lot of the book is also pointing people to why, you know, where we are now is because of suddenly we've discovered uh, why a lot of the old stuff doesn't make sense, but does from a sort of gut point of view. And what are the key things that damage the gut? And I suppose the opposite side of that is what are the best things we can do to nurture the gut and the microbes that are there? Yeah, I think it's best to focus on the positives because in a way they are the opposite. And what, I, what I've come down as a very simplified version, obviously, I'd like you to read the book, but the very honed down version of what you can do is to try and have a diverse amount of plants in your diet every week. And the magic number we came up with from a study we did uh, about five, six years ago is 30 different types of plant a week. But that, it, and some people say, oh, I can't have that, you know, um, that's far too many, you know, I only have potatoes and peas. Um, but if you think of nuts and seeds and herbs as uh, plants, it's actually pretty easy. And that's, that's the number one thing, to increase the diversity of gut microbes. These are real stuff, not processed. Um, the second is to have pick plants that are high in uh, special chemicals called polyphenols. These are things that make them brightly colored and make them slightly bitter. So things like berries, things like uh, seeds, things like special types of nut, uh, dark chocolate, we're talking uh, olive oil, we're talking even red wine and coffee. These things we know are good for us. And we now know it's because of these chemicals 
in them, which defend them against other insects and things. And then third is to have regular fermented foods. So um, not just yogurt, but cheese. And then we've got what I call the four Ks, kefir, kombucha, kimchi, and kraut. Uh, for sauerkraut, I couldn't get an S in there. Um, <laughs> but the whole point is just to, you don't have to have all of them every day, but a shot of one of them every day gives you live microbes, which are really good for you. And then the fourth uh, part of this is to is things to avoid, which is avoid regular ultra-processed foods and chemicals like artificial sweeteners. And if you follow those four tips, that's a pretty good guide to improving your, your gut microbiome. Our listeners are absolutely going to love you. So to drink more and more coffee. They're going to be de- de- delighted as they listen to, to the episode. Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. A fascinating chat on all things dietary health and certainly gut health. Uh, tell me a bit more about the PREDICT project. Tell us a bit more about that. About five years ago, a couple of uh, entrepreneurs came to see me when I was giving a, a, a talk about my previous book. And they said, we'd love to form a company with you. And they went ahead and I said, no way unless you've got lots of money to do real studies, not just marketing. And I thought I'd never see them again. But two months later, they came back and they said, we've got the money, we're starting it. And that's where the PREDICT studies came in, funded by this company called Zoe, which uh, is currently operating in the US and soon to be in the UK, and hopefully in Ireland soon. Um, basically, we started to look at uh, a thousand people giving them identical foods and see what how they responded and a lot of those uh, individuals were twins so we could see how your response to food in your metabolism was genetic or not and it turned out this is this ended up being the largest ever study amazingly uh, performed in nutrition shows how small the studies have been because i'm used to genetics where actually studies are pretty big this was uh, the first ever study of its kind, everyone had the same muffins, uh, which, and it turned out that when you eat the same muffins, uh, normal people have a tenfold difference in how they respond. So you and I, given the same muffin, quite likely to have really different responses, both in our sugars, our insulin, and our fat levels. And that also means our inflammation levels. So that was a really amazing key moment from those studies to show there's this huge variation in what we've assumed was very standardized. And that meant that really we should be personalizing nutrition uh, much more than we are. And the idea there's one standard set of rules for everybody or you and I about eating so much carbs or so much fats or so much sugar, you know, or protein is nonsense. Then we also showed that even identical twins, uh, we had about 400 of them, reacted very differently to the same food. So you couldn't just blame your parents as we've been doing uh, for the last uh, 20 years. It's actually something else. And that one of those things, not the only thing, but one of those things was our gut microbes. So it turns out even identical twins have very different gut microbes and they have a big influence on how we respond to our foods, how we break it down, which chemicals get produced and how we uh, get an inflammation in our bodies and how we put on weight or uh, lose energy and things like this. So it's what we, that study showed us was a, this huge range of responses and that many factors are involved, not just what's written on the packet, but 
all these other factors, even including how you slept the day before, uh, your timing of your meal, and um, as well as you know your gut microbes and and other factors like that. So that predict study by Zoe has actually led to a, a product uh, in the in the US, which is being sold as a personalized uh, nutrition kit. That basically you do these tests and then you get your results through artificial intelligence, big algorithms, give you individualized scores for foods and which ones you should uh, preferentially, which ones you should preferentially avoid. And people on that study after six weeks are, uh, who follow the advice of the nutritionist on the app are losing you know, three or four kilos in weight and all virtually all of them showing better energy levels just by keeping in check these, these sugar and fat peaks over time without once talking about calories or percentage of fat or the traditional measures. So the idea we hope is this is gonna be sustainable for years and decades and really change people's attitude to food in, in a really big way. And can I pull that then towards obesity for a second then in terms of that the, the, the genetic piece that you found with the studies that you've done that even ident you know, identical twins can react very differently, that our parents aren't necessarily responsible for our own genetics, that we all react very individual. One of the arguments from the obesity platform is that, oh, we're, you know, we're genetically just predisposed to being obese or we're genetically predisposed as a society to being obese. Uh, how does the research that you found relate to the obesity and the obesity crisis that we're facing? Well, there undoubtedly is an obesity crisis and undoubtedly obesity itself has a genetic component. You know, and I've published papers on that myself. So I'm not going to deny that. But in terms of what you can do about it, um, you can't change your genes. And so it was a rather dead end street to tell people, well, you know, your parents are overweight. There's nothing you can do about it. So what we're showing is that there are, if you can, uh, you know, and sh surely some people can eat less food and still get overweight. Others have a better. So I'm not denying there isn't some genetic component to this. What we're telling people is you cannot personalize that and do things about it just by choosing a more fatty diet or a more carb diet, um, changing between an apple and a, and a banana. Uh, those things can make for you quite a big difference over long periods of time. And realizing which foods disagree with you metabolically allows you to uh, actually change quite a bit of your weight gain and allow you to lose weight, regardless of your genetics. And that's, that's essentially what we've shown, because if genetics were so much, we wouldn't have shown important differences between identical twins, who are the ultimate genetic test, if you like. And I know there are a lot of competing tests out there saying, oh, I can measure your genes and tell you what to eat. Well, we've, we've actually disproved that as being a serious uh, method just because we had you know, the world's biggest group of twins doing these studies. Uh, no genetic test can beat having an identical twin uh, ever. So um, I think that's the, the key to this. So I think it's, uh, you know, there are definitely some people who still will always struggle from their weight. But what we're showing is whether you're one of those people or you're, or you're someone who doesn't have a genetic problem, you can still personalize your food to optimize um, what damage it does to your body. And that knowledge is very powerful. And just having one size fits all is going to really, uh, you know, 
can no longer be accepted, particularly if you've got a predisposition to gain weight. But we think with this program so far, um, you know, 80% or so of people are finding that they managed to lose weight and uh, they also particularly gain more energy. And I think that's the other thing we, we don't talk about. We're a bit obsessed with just weight gain, but a lot of people who are overweight end up in this cycle of mm-hmm. losing energy and fatigue and, and that gets them depressed just as much as the weight gain does. And so uh, I think these sugar spikes and dips uh, and fat spikes causing inflammation are also quite important areas to consider in terms of um, our mood and our energy levels. And I think that's not a thing that modern medicine is really focused on, but that's something that our the customers so far from the US are all telling us is really important. So I think we're going to be focusing much more on that in the future. And I think this, we're learning from the feedback we get from people. Of course. And I think, I think you're totally right. That energy output component is hugely, it's hugely important, but no one talks about it. It's all weight and it's sleep. But actually energy is the byproduct of all of those things of moving more, eating healthier, being a healthy weight, sleeping better, managing, you know, I suppose all the, it's all combined together in terms of food, movement, recovery, stress management and lifestyle is, is really, really important too. Um, in terms of takeaways that people can take from the episode, obviously, you know, we'll give the, the book a mention in a minute, but it's one of the key things, just a sw- simple switches from a very processed diet full of high processed foods into a diet of more natural foods. You know, if you did nothing else, presumably that's one thing you can do to be healthier from a food perspective. Yeah, I mean, exactly. If you take rule one, you know, try and eat 30 different types of plant a week, uh, and if you do that, it's very hard to actually have ultra processed food at the same time. And I, I'm not against anyone having the occasional burger. Um, you know, I, we're all partial to the odd bag of chips every, every you know, or, or crisps what? every now and again. But I don't think But the, the crucial thing is you don't have it regularly and you don't assume that just because it says low in fat, low in calorie, you know, uh, extra vitamins, it's healthy for you. Don't be misled by those supermarkets and those huge promotions. And, you know, the best way to make sure you're getting enough of it is, unfortunately, is to, or fortunately, is to cook it yourself. And many people who do have weight problems have forgotten how to cook or realize you can cook a very healthy plant-based meal. Um, for those who, you know, who, who want that kickstart, maybe go for one of these uh, these uh, food box delivery companies, uh, some of them just provide you the vegetables, others actually give you a menu in there so you don't have to buy anything. And as a kickstart just for a couple of months, I think that's a really good, nice tip. If you're the spender who has got a little bit of spare cash and you don't mind investing what you would have been spending on the gym or uh, you know, uh, vast amounts of money uh, for, for something else. I think that I, it certainly helped me as I changed to increase my range of um, vegetarian plant-based foods is to get that kind of stuff in. And I was busy, so I couldn't always shop for it. So that would be my practical tip is to link some of these ideas to also uh, getting help uh, in a practical way. So, you, you know, you're not, uh, don't get instantly fed up because you haven't got those 30 ingredients or, or whatever and need new ideas. But um, I think going forward, I think this is where these personalized apps will come in because you'll be given a personalized nutritionist that will be able to talk you through these and help advise you. And I think that's one of the challenges we've got now as to how to uh, 
deliver the advice in a practical way that people can can actually uh, take home once they've got the principles. Professor Tim Spector, all the way from Spain, thank you so much for joining us. Tim's book, Spoonfed, is available now online and in stores across the country. Folks, that's it for the episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. You know where we are, at Carl Henry PT on Instagram, realhealth at independent.ie. We'll see you next week for more Real Health. So long and full. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.